Creating better businesses with Discovery Business Insurance. Hey everyone, welcome to the Healthy Business Show brought to you by Discovery Business Insurance. We're with the founders of Feltskin, a South African brand that has gone from zero to viral hero in just two years. How the brand grew to receive funding from famed US billionaire investor Mark Cuban and worn by such luminaries as Hollywood actor Ashton Kutcher and former Prince Harry. I am with Nick Dreyer, Ross Sondach and Nick Latouf talking branding and global growth. Nick, Nick Ross, uh, absolute pleasure to to have you guys on the Discovery Healthy Business Show in your premises as well in uh, in the Dorp HQ, uh, and it's it's so great to see you guys again. How's everyone doing? Uh, we're very well, and welcome to welcome to our little Dorp. Thank <laughs> you. I want to quickly just touch upon the, the the I mean, I suppose just the relationship between you guys because you come from such disparate backgrounds, right? So, I mean, how how did it all begin? And and where the heck are you guys from? <laughs> if we start there. I'll go first. Um, so I grew up in Pretoria. We, we all grew up in Pretoria and, uh, and schooled at the same school. All Pretoria yeah. was out in 1996. Yeah, I remember mates. Uh, Rossi and I were close and um, all the way through school ended up being in, in hostel together. And we were friendly with Nick, but... You know, I was a day boy. He was a day boy, so oh, yeah. it made life difficult. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we were at school and we all went our separate ways. Rossi and I stayed friends. And I ended up, um, my personal thing was I worked in hotels and hospitality management. Um, and then I ended up working in a diverse set of fields. One of them was the art world. And about eight years ago, um, ended up deciding to become an, an entrepreneur. Okay. Um, started a few things not even big enough to fail, but, you know, started a few things and then uh, and ended up in this conversation with Ross, which we'll get to uh, around Felskin. So, Nick, you you in the hospitality business. Yes. Uh, um, other Nick? Yeah, I, I do come from a digital background, but um, it's, it's interesting because I was film obsessed for for many years and, and still am. And I always wanted to be a great filmmaker. I remember back in the day, um, I started a little film company in Pretoria called Empty Pocket Productions. I had great vision and um, it didn't really work out. I, I had one client in the beginning and they hated the work that I did and I needed money really quickly after that. <laughs> and I remember sitting with my dad in a coffee shop and somebody had created this little newsletter in coffee shops called Coffee News. And I looked at that while busy telling him that I needed money because my only clients in Empty Pocket Productions like, didn't want to pay me for the work that I had done. And I looked at Coffee News and I said, I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do it better. And I started a little publication called uh, Cafe Society, which okay. was a little newspaper for coffee shops in Pretoria. All right. And I started building up from there. And then Cafe Society became Diplomatic Society online. So that was my first leap from traditional to new. Correct. Into, and, and, it was, and it was quite a while ago. And I still think I had one of the very first online publications in South Africa. And it was for the diplomatic community in Pretoria, and and it was and it was really fun. And I really I started to get into digital there, and um, and then I had an opportunity to move across to Joburg to work in in some of the online casinos, etc. And I still had this, you know, by night trying to make uh, trying to make film vision. Uh, I had an opportunity to go work for Ronnie Aptierka. Okay. Uh, yes. Yeah. Had, legend. Yes. He had started a business called uh, Life Fundi, which was uh, an online store for corporate companies. 
And I got to work very closely with Ronnie on, on this project and I just got more involved in the digital side. Sure. And um, Like creating websites and that kind of thing? Or no, so very much in the startup environment. Um, I was one of the guys involved with, um, I don't know if you ever remember Vuvu Plaza. Mm, I do, yes. Yes, yeah. yes. So, so Ronnie, myself and, and a few other people started Vuvu Plaza. And uh, we were Groupon's biggest competitor at that sure. stage. And eventually went on, built a, built a bit of a reputation. And, you know, people would come to me and ask me, how do you do this? How do you do that? Uh, et cetera, in, in terms of building digital businesses. And it overflowed into a little agency that we started okay. uh, in Joburg called Just Perfect. We built Just Perfect. I built it with a friend of mine who now owns uh, Ozo. Thomas Pays. Yeah. Thomas Pays, correct. Sure. And Thomas and I went our separate ways about three years ago. I moved to Cape Town. I saw everything was moving into video. Mm-hmm and another opportunity to take my film passion and use it in something a lot more practical. Moved across to Cape Town and started a little agency that specialized in video for social media. Okay. And literally within the first two weeks of landing here, I got a message from Ross who pinged me and said to me that um, him and Nick have got this really interesting thing that they want to show me. And Ross, what had you been doing up until then? Yeah, look, I wasn't, I didn't have sexy uh, <laughs> background like these. You were in bricklaying. Yeah, I was, I, was in, I was in cement mixing and bricklaying. So, <laughs> no, I, um, I went down to, to Stellenbosch and uh, studied there for, for two years uh, and then actually went back up to uh, Pretoria and uh, and got involved with a sort of BSC construction management and Quantsurveying. And, um, cheapest. Okay. So this really is yeah, disparate yeah. in no, terms no, of the three of you. Very. I went and finished up at, uh, in, in Pretoria. Um, but I never really got the, the bug for construction, funny enough. And, um, I was working as a, as a waiter to, uh, turn some extra bucks and, um, and pay my way through. Were you thinking entrepreneurial uh, at that time? Uh, no, no, it was actually funny enough. I wasn't. To me, I was working in the restaurant business because it made me some money and, uh, it was just an opportunity. Yeah. And what had happened, the, funny enough, the restaurant that I was working actually closed down. Um, and then the landlord asked me, listen, listen, she's actually looking for the old manager. Do I not have, yeah, do I not know where he is? Long story short is I, I tracked him down, yeah, and we actually opened up a restaurant together. Okay. So it was an opportunity after Varsity to do something very different. And I've always loved, I've always loved this old restaurant game. And, um, and the guy I went into partnership uh, was a brilliant restauranteur and we opened the restaurant. So and we opened the restaurant in three months and there's a, that's a whole, very whole long There's a lot story. of lessons. Yeah, a lot of entrepreneurial lessons, lessons in, the, in opening of yeah. a restaurant, right? So, um, but the problem is there in, the, in, in that restaurant game, myself and my, my, my business partner at that stage, um, we sold ourselves as the restaurant. So we were there yeah. 24-7, yeah. And that's a huge mistake that a lot of people make, 100%. right? They're working in the business rather than on the business. Yeah, so we had started the, the restaurant business and we were sort of, we did it for about two years. Um, and after two years, I just, uh, myself and my business partner at that stage, we wanted different things for the restaurant. Myself and, and, uh, and Nick Latouf also, uh, touched bases at that time mm. because he opened a restaurant called Bluegrass. Was uh, it Bluegrass? Dad's Bluegrass Diner. My dad had opened up a restaurant yeah. at that stage called Dad's Bluegrass Diner in Victoria. Yeah. So we sort of reconnected, but there, because I was in the game, he was in the game, and we sort of, yeah, you know, sort of caught up there a bit. Um, but I, I, then I sold my restaurant to, onto my partner. On a whim, funny enough, I phoned Nick Gray on the Friday. I sold my restaurant. After selling the restaurant, the Friday I phoned him and I said, listen, like I'm free now, I'm not sure what to do. And he said, well, why don't you just come down to Cape Town? And I was like, maybe I should. So he says, well, he's going to be in Cape Town, just come down. And I came down to Cape Town and I actually just never left. So okay. and then, I, then so, I went back into my, my, my studies, I, I got back into construction. So we've established there's three very different backgrounds here. How did this coalesce into DORP? When we came up with the idea of Falskin, there was this relationship between myself and Russ, which was close and we... 
we, we, we got really excited about it and we got, we, we realized we had a little something here. There was a, a, a decent idea. And the more we worked the business case, the more it revealed itself as something that could be scalable at some point if we managed to start s slowly and small and build it out and if we were patient. Um, but the, <laughs> the first guy that we ever showed it to in all seriousness as a, as a real project was Nick, the first guy that saw it and didn't really laugh at it. Okay. So he, yeah. he, he so got you it. saw it, Nick, other Nick. Why it interested me instantly is because of the way I felt. I was really aware of how I felt when I first saw it. I'm not the traditional type of person that would wear a pair of felt skins. Well, none, no, that's interesting. None of us are. No, absolutely. None of us were interested in felt skin. But, but when yeah. I saw the shoe initially and I felt very different about it, I thought other people would too. So sorry, just to clarify for context, you, you'd already made a shoe. Yes. Okay. So you'd had you had a sample, and and so you saw the opportunity in this almost iconic term, which yes. is feldskin. Yes. That um, that nobody else had really seen, and and nobody else was really making it at scale. It was more like a generic term for a type of shoe, Correct. as it was, opposed it was to a brand. I'm a sort of artist, aren't you? I, I don't think we saw what you what you just said. No, I think what we did is. We had an idea. Yeah, we, we didn't realize the importance of what, what the, um, the outcome would be. We, we, we looked at this and we thought, this is actually just something nice and fun. And, you know, when we got the first images, we looked and we said, it's actually quite nice. Uh, and then we went about, you know, actually structuring the business of what we would call it, how, what we'd do, we would make it. And we went through that whole process. We didn't, I don't think we at any stage did we ever realize or ever think that this could be a, an iconic shoot, yeah. Mm. Um, but again, to give it context, I mean, the story of how they, the two of them, you know, Nick and Ross actually came up with the idea, I think is so important. Um, you know, that very first conversation they had while while driving in a car. Yeah. Because I think it sets the DNA for the business and sure. not just the brand. And how the conversation went, I was driving from Plitt to Cape Town and Ross was in town, Cape Town driving around and we've been on the phone for 20 years with each other. So I phoned him up and I said, listen, I've got a six hour drive, talk a bit of nonsense here, you know, sure. from time to time, keep me like awake during the drive. And uh, one of the things we were speaking about amongst a bunch of other stuff is that the South African team looked really bad at the Olympics. They had those Chinese tracksuits on <laughs> and at the Rio Olympics. And yeah. we were just saying like, what else could they have worn? It just looked so poor. Yeah. And we thought maybe they could have worn the diva shirts, or, you know, and, and yeah, the, there's no, there was nothing that really kind of pinned them as no. an authentic and, South and African we, team. But there we go. And we looked mm. at the other, if you look at the other competitors coming through, they all had something that there was, was something signature, signature about, them. about yeah. them. And we yeah. thought South Africa, South Africa has to have a signature yeah. item. And the only thing we could think of that everybody had that would know, and it came quickly. The word was, oh, what about, I think Ross said, what about Fulskin? And I was like, yeah, I suppose so, but I mean, they're ugly. Yeah, you know, they're just not funny. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah. And, and then it's such a well-known term, but it doesn't have yeah. great connotations, no. right? No, no. there's exactly. a preconception around it that just seems just inaccurate, not interesting. And then it went to it doesn't have to be that. It, it, it surely it could be fun. And I'd just come back from New York, and I'd I'd worn I bought a pair of shoes which had a bright yellow sole on it on a normal brogue shoe, and I said to Ross. Hang on a second. I've got this shoe that I'm just, let me show you and send you a picture. And I sent him a picture of it and we're like, that's actually pretty interesting. What if felts can look like that? And we had a designer guy working in our, like in my other business. And uh, I sent him a message saying, Google image a felt skin 
and make the laces and the soles brighter. Wow, what a great story. That's amazing. And then so he sent back five colors, yellow, so he took green. A, he, took, yeah, he took the South African flag effectively and he just yeah. picked the colors that were in the flag yeah. and he just put them on the shoe. Huh. And, and, and that's where you know, it, it was sent you to Nick and yeah. Nick finally said, I'm sending you something. This is what we're going to be doing. This is a, it just speaks to the, the origins of, of creativity, right? And how yeah. serendipitous it is. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, I, was, it was so serendipitous. I can't tell it was plucked out of there. Yeah. There's no genius in the room. There's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, I, it's I like wish a, we could say that we, 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 we orchestrated it, but yeah, <laughs> it was a discoverability. But look, well done for you guys for seeing the opportunity, right? And so when did it really, I mean, so you had these samples made and, uh, and Nick, so we get you saw it, and I, I, I saw it immediately. Uh, again, and it had a lot to do with uh, how I felt when I saw it. And you know, again, the storyteller in me just saw that this is going to be a big story. You can build a big story around this, and it's going to be huge. I knew, Look, it, I knew it instantly. We were so happy because we, we we had shown everyone in our family and our friends, you know, circle these shoes, and everyone effectively just laughed at us. They <laughs> really? really laughed at us, and they laughed and they laughed. Yeah, and that's not uh, that's not an over exaggeration. No, they laughed. It, it really, it really. So, so was it a mocking laugh, or was it, was, it like it was a, a shaking of the head and dropping of the head <laughs> and going? They're just Appointment to say really, yeah, <laughs> felt good, yeah. So, so they were laughing at you, yes, you know, okay. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't even get to the point where they could laugh at the idea. Oh, it it was, really you're gonna start a what? Sorry, yeah. a yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then, and, that, and that's why we when we took it to Nick, and uh, I think Nick looked at it and said, Guys, this is amazing. We were like, Sorry, what? <laughs> you know, so you just don't know, and we we're like. So you, you mean, had an instant business partner. No, <laughs> yeah. So, so and that was the funny thing because we, we literally walked out and Nick sort of tapped me on the shoulder and said, would it be bad if we went back and asked him to give him some shares he could join us? I was like, yeah, man, was a bit desperate. Let's just cool it out. And we literally went to the car and we said, like, we need to get Nick in. It's like, like, he shares the oh, same sentiment. And, and on my side, I'm thinking exactly you know, yeah. the same. I'm thinking, really? how am I going to get into this business? From the beginning, I decided I don't want to charge these guys because I want shares in this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and, and I didn't at all. You know? We all worked for a very <laughs> long time we, without we any money. We about half an hour and we said, listen, yeah. Nick, like, let's talk. You know, what, what do we have to do? And it but, was a, it was a handshake. Um, and, uh, it was the guys I mean, and, yeah, and, uh. Yeah, then for six months we set out doing it for no money. So I'm curious to know, I mean, there's been a huge amount of media around you guys and and it's kind of blown up and that wasn't a long time ago, right? So at what point, I mean, I want to just get into that that little inflection when, uh, I mean, the big story that everybody now I think is starting to to recognize is that you have investment from Mark Cuban and from Ashton Kutcher. These are big names. How did that come about? I'll take a step back. uh, So to be honest, one of our biggest moments after was was when Long for Laugh and and, uh, and Brian Joffe came along. Okay, because that was a that was a big moment for us. It's one of the uh, first big moments. It was one of the first big moments. So can we, you d- describe what that is? What, what yes, happened? Yeah, we got a bit of notoriety before that. Okay, we made we made press. We actually got onto a couple of television programs, YouTube channels, um, and uh, on something on Cape Nets, and we made a couple. We got into Getaway Magazine because our first. Our first campaign was the legend is back, mm. uh, and the legend is back. Kind of this, the press were like, "Oh my God, Fels can exist again." Yeah, it's which was it's back. And the truth was is that it was three guys in a two by three meter office in Woodstock, and yeah, but people felt as if we'd come back from somewhere. So we created a little bit of 
a little bit of energy, visible energy inside the brand. How long after you guys had got together and you decided to make a real, you know, to, to give it a real tonk? It was what, about what, nine months before, uh, yeah. before, about, yeah, let's call it a year before um, Long for Life came around. But they came around literally yeah. two days before we were heading to London to start our London. online store in the UK. Okay. Yeah. We had global ambitions right in the beginning. And to be honest, we weren't searching for investment. But the one thing we've known from the start and, and even now, and yeah. it's driving our strategy now, is that the South African e-commerce retail market is only so big. Yeah. But we needed to make sure that we could grow the South African business into a slightly more sizable space. So we needed access to retail, actual bricks and mortar retail. Mm. And Long for Life was a lifestyle business acquiring position at that point, and they had outdoor warehouse and sportsman's warehouse, which would make sense for some of our products moving forward. When they came to see us, we were confronted with the idea for the very first time that we could take on an investor. Sure. And you just had the one brand at that stage, right? Felt good. You had Felt good. Yes. Okay. We had dreams about Plucky. We never had Plucky at all. No, we didn't. But we knew that we had this flip-flop idea in the future. Sure. So when they came to see us, there was an opportunity to get into real retail through outdoor warehouse yeah. and potentially sportsmen's down the line and plucking the back of our minds. And there's an opportunity to work with one of the greatest deal makers of all time, Brian Joffe. Yeah. Brian Joffe is the founder of one of the biggest and most respected businesses in the history of South Africa is uh, Bidvest. So that's amazing. I mean, so essentially you really came out the gates hot. I mean, you, you yeah. created this product, you created a campaign. Yeah. yeah. And then it pinged their, their interest in us as an acquisition. And it immediately had this kind of brand recognition because it was such a generic term. Absolutely. You just gave it a polish, right? Okay. It's quite funny that you said, like, for us, when we, when we are initial thought of the brand was actually more of an international brand in terms of tourists. We thought when you come to South Africa, you have to leave with South, South Africa. Yeah. And then we always, always positioned it in terms of, of that, of, of saying attacking the sort of the, the tourist market. We just didn't realize that actually the South African appetite for the shoe. Yeah, and when Nick was printed online and we were we were sort of reaching a, a big audience, it really started ramping up. And we actually realized and we started understanding the stories behind the shoe. And, and the story started coming out. And that was the most, for us was, was the most amazing thing because it wasn't, it wasn't a market I thought, I thought that we really thought we were going to, people would, 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 would take to because as I said, the, the initial after, after run, folks mm. laughed at us. They thought it was a, they thought it was a funny shoe. Yeah. And how important is, I mean, uh, Nick, from a, 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 from a positioning perspective, how important are stories to that. I mean, because you mentioned stories now and that story coming out and people laughing at it at first. So key, it's key to everything. Uh, I mean, I was having the discussion with one of our team earlier, one of our, um, one of our younger members of the, of the creative team. And, um, you know, we sent it to this uh, talk last night where, you know, a lot of the talk was about these different hacks that you can use to hack Instagram and, uh, and, and, and tricks to get better results on Facebook. And, you know, the honest truth is, is that that's not going to help you build a brand. <clears throat> you know, it's not about hacks. It's not about tricks. It's about doing it properly, being 100% authentic. And that starts with your team and the founders and, and, and how you behave. Um, and that filters through to the brand and how you translate that story online. Um, there are no tricks, there are no hacks, just tell a great story. But the story is also the story. You know, you can't make up the stories. Um, and that's really, that's also really key. I think a lot of brands and a lot of people and a lot of businesses, um, you know, 
try and tell a story that is not really their story. You know, our story is um, Feldskin and and our story evolves. You know, we 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 can only figure things out so far. So we're really good at rolling with with how it unfolds and constantly translating that into social and the community at large. Sure. When so, when the Ashton things happen, it happens. You know, that's the new story and 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 how you push that up and how you tell that. So the lesson there is there's an inherent honesty and a absolute integrity that needs to to be embodied within that story. Otherwise, I mean, obviously it's just not going to work, right? If it doesn't resonate. With people. 100%. So, Nick and Nick were talking about how do we launch a brand, how do we do it. And Nick said, Guys, the only way you do it is you do it honestly. He said, You don't have all your subscribers that are there or people that want to follow you. Yeah. Tell the story right and then you'll build your brand. Yeah. yeah. And I have to admit that and I give kudos to Nick about that because that's what he's done from day one. Yeah. Um, and all 21,000 followers on Instagram are people that follow us for a specific reason. Okay. Um, and I'm, I'm proud of that. Gotcha. I mean, so now Brian Joffe, you've gotten interest from some major people, uh, and and all of a sudden you realizing this is a real business, and and you, your positioning is strong. What happened around the the kind of Mark Cuban, sure. uh, Ashton Kutcher story? So there's this moment where you you get your investor, and then the learning curve is the hockey stick yeah. one, which is you learn how to report you trying to like get the most you're going to be grown up now you're going to be a big <laughs> yes. grown up and um, but at the same time as like trying to deploy your investment correctly and responsibly for growth the mirror that is our audience was coming at us with content and questions and engagement and they were coming at us from all over the world these are South Africans that have just heard about Feldskin, read about Brian Joffe, the great deal maker that's invested in Feldskin. And out of nowhere, amazing South Africans were sending us pictures of them wearing their, wearing their Feldskin Shepherds. everywhere. So there was this baked in storytelling yeah. mechanism. And it came on its own. And yeah. all of a sudden we were getting messages from the third guy in charge of Coca-Cola in Washington sending us pictures. <laughs> who was, who was South African? South African guy. And we were getting the, one of the top guys at Twitter with the shoes on. Yes. And we, That's so it's coming. So the, and the next thing we're sitting at a boardroom table. Boardroom table is pretty kind. It's probably like a, a coffee table. Um, <laughs> yeah. And we're sitting there and we're trying to work out how to get into America because at this point we're selling in the UK. But when I say selling, it's an e-com store and we're filling out of one of our mates' garages, like that type of thing. Yeah. And we're trying to figure out how to do America. Do we do e-commerce fulfillment? You know, how, how do we third-party fulfillment? And I get an email as we wrap up our meeting from this guy called Steve Watts. And he says, Nick, I'm Steve Watts. I'm really interested in Felskin. I live in California. Like, this is my history. And he's got slide handboards and it's a really cool thing. And I said to the guys, this is too good to be true. Let me just phone him. He just dropped, send me a mail. So I phoned him and I woke his wife up in California. And she said, like, please don't phone. It's two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> she goes, you, but Steve, Steve is in Durban. I was like, what? Oh, she wow. goes, Steve's in Durban. I said, fantastic. Phone Steve up. Rossi and I figured out the next day to go and have lunch with him, but also to see our manufacturer who's in Durban. Um, and we sat down and he told us his story. And his story was he made these incredible bodyboarding surfboards and he sold them online. He had uh, this incredible moment on the Shark Tank show and he'd taken investment from Ashton Kutcher and Mark Cuban. But yeah. he's, he's his own guy and, and they've got a small stake in his business. But the reason we were super interested in him he took a niche product inside a seasonal sport, inside a season, inside a niche product, yeah. and had turned that into a, a viable e-commerce <laughs> offering. 
And Ross and I kept talking about it, and they were very, he was a really cool guy, just like yeah. a really smart, like smart, oh, okay. cool guy. Anyway, we like it, like them, and we decide we, this is a really nice, soft, small start for us. We, we, we could partner with them. And Nick and I popped over to California, popped over to South Coast. We, <laughs> we flew over so to California like, for a week. 36 and a half. hour flight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Had lunch with them, stayed with their family, like really got to know each other. We're very satisfied that we could trust them with our brand, trust sure. them with our action. They came back and they were doing their due diligence. And when they revealed to Mark and Ashton that they were hoping to partner with us, they both responded and said, oh my God, this looks incredible. Would you mind if we came along? Wow. So they phoned us and said, we have a, we have like two calls a week. It goes something like this. Guys, we've been asked by Mark and Ashton if they could participate in the investment in Felskin. And you can just see- <laughs> Were you guys together? Yeah. Yeah. On a Zoom call and everybody just like closed their lenses. And it was just like, what the hell? <laughs> like, it was the most ridiculous thing. And I said, I played it cool and I was like, let Do you me, mind if I yeah. just get back to you? <laughs> Let me think about this. <laughs> yeah. give, give me 10 seconds. Yeah, anyway, so we spent a couple of days not mulling it over, but actually trying to figure out what this looks like in a year, you know, yeah. trying to work that out. Obviously, we decided to go with the investment, said yes, and then this, this like five-month um, prolonged trench. trench of legal agreements and scrumming because to, to incorporate a South African entity in the US is not an easy thing. Because at that stage, now you've suddenly got someone, you know, with 50 million followers on social media yes. wearing your shoe yes. and, uh, yeah. and starting to be an inbuilt or built-in Ambassador. Correct. And at the same time, we had the thing with Prince Harry in the UK. So you had this. Yeah, you had this other great story. Yeah. How did that happen, by the way? (laughs) So it's not. Sorry, I'm going to just quickly interject here. Like none of this really sounds intentional. No. No. (laughs) All of this sounds. Just to clarify, we we had we definitely didn't design this. (laughs) There was like a higher power behind this. And and you and you joke, and that's that's 100 percent something we believe in this business. Okay. That uh, it's all. Completely divine. But do some okay. of our, like, I mean, like we always talk about, you know, some of our points that, you know, you have to be honest, you have to be, you know, you have to have integrity, you have to be fair, and you have to be transparent. Yeah, we've been like that uh, in our partnership, and I think that is sung through our business. But the right thing always happens in this business. Mm-hmm. Always, and always, always, And it's the most serendipitous thing ever, but I, we do put ourselves in good positions. You know, you do put yourself in a position to get yeah. lucky. So we yeah. send shoes to Harry on his honeymoon. Yeah. Okay. No money if you get Okay. I knew that. I knew, we knew kind of where they'd be. Sent them, sent them over, and then a year goes by and you don't know anything. And then I'm in London, walking around, trying to get like the UK thing going. Nick phones me and says, "There's an email you need to look at right now," and it's from the editor of the Times. And he says, "I was at a party last night, and Harry's wearing a pair of Pinotage Feldskin. What are these?" Cheapest. And he goes, That's do, amazing. He goes, do you have a picture? He goes, so yeah, he phones me up and he goes, do you have a picture of Harry Williams? I was like, do you have a picture? Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Can I please have a picture? Yeah. Um, anyway, so they decide to run the story and the story is what, uh, practically, uh, I think a two centimeter by two centimeter story yeah. on page 175 of the Times in London on a Sunday. Okay. Yeah. But it turns out a lot of people read that. Yeah. And all of a sudden, our sales in the UK starts going crap. Like, absolutely. And there's a little nice. picture of our shoe and it yeah. said, Prince Harry is a, a fan. fan. But it, then again, it comes back to making your own luck. So we came back, re- we had this really strong moment in the UK, almost at the same time as the picture thing. Yeah. And then, we took a breath and we were like, okay, let's try and maximize the opportunity. So we actually ran our own press. The press was that the Times had said that Harry had worn the shoes. Yeah. So we ran it on the back of somebody else's audience. Yeah. And then that bit of press 
went nuts. Yeah. Along with the Kutcher thing. So we had real momentum, but there was, a, there was definitely a piece of us sitting back going, we've got the momentum, we have to work this now cleverly, and then we deployed the information as well as we could, and then that's what's rolled out over the last eight or nine months. Mm. And I think, look, I mean, jokes aside, I mean, obviously there is a serendipitous quality to what what has happened, and uh, and and it, I think all entrepreneurs acknowledge the role of luck. But when you have that opportunity to really be intentional about ensuring that you maximize the return on those opportunities. So, and it's very clear that, that you've done that. Yeah, I think you said it, it is about luck, but I mean, it's about creating those opportunities as well because we have a culture in our business where we share. We collaborate and we share. For example, the wonderful photographer, Greg Beadle, he came along, said, listen guys, I love your shoes, yeah? Nick said, listen, why don't you take a pair, take a few photos first and just, yeah, that's it. That was our transaction. We gave him a pair of shoes. He gave us a few photos, you know. He said, listen, guys, I'm, I'm going to Davos. Davos. Okay. He said, um, so he, he's one of the, he's one of 10 photographers that's allowed at the World, for the World Economic yeah. Forum. Yeah. So we actually gave him, I think we gave him two pairs, two pairs of shoes to say, right. listen, thanks, go in, yeah. If you, yeah, like, take some lack of photos in the snow and there's no. Good luck. And um, and from that we actually got the most one of the most amazing stories. We um, Alec um, Hogg's shoes broke, so Alec Hogg, one the, of the, the most business journalist, yes, yeah. yeah, his shoes broke, and Greg Beadle goes, "You won't believe it, I've got a spare <laughs> pair of Falski." And he goes, "What size do you have? Size nine." He goes, "I'm a size nine." And Alec Hogg goes and walks around Davos <laughs> in, in the snow, in the snow, and they work, and then he writes a massive piece about Falskin in Business Insider, and next thing that. That's another huge piece of news. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So to Russell's point, you, you get lucky, but you also make a little bit of luck. Yeah. So to your point, it's it definitely is how you react. Mm-hmm. And we've and we, I think we've been quite good at trying to capture as much of that attention and then push it back into the business. And I think there's, I mean, genuinely, there's a bit of, there's something strange about these shoes. There's like this magical quality since, I mean, I'm wearing a pair right now, right? And there's something odd that happens when you walk around with them. People stop in the street and yeah. stare and they point and they yeah. comment. Try, try they, walking around with them in America. It's uh, exactly uh, the same people, thing People comment incredible. about it. And so I think just a, another question. I mean, obviously, you've done a great job of positioning the shoe and, and it's been amazing in terms of, of getting it out there. But... Now what? Because now you've got this this hit product. It's growing. There is a hockey stick that's starting to emerge, which is wonderful. And as you know, as a South African, super proud of this journey. But what's the next step? We had to peg down what our ambitions were, and I think that then dictates the strategy. And our ambition is genuinely to create South Africa's most iconic brand globally. Globally. We want to have the shot at making sure that a little bit like Javier's is to Brazil, okay. we have our thing. And Doc Martens is to the UK. UK. Sure. Falcon is to South Africa. is to South Africans as it is to South Africa as it is to people that visit South Africa. Now, if you set that ambition and you go, listen, I want to be the next Mrs. Balls Chutney, <laughs> you know, and they're a fantastic globally recognized brand. But we want to make sure that when somebody sees you in a pair of Falcon, they think positively about South Africa. So in order to achieve that, you've got to play in the global in the global stage. Yeah, sure, yeah. absolutely. And in order to do that, you've got to be responsible. You've got to grow, and you've got to be able to execute in territories you don't understand all at the same time. So it becomes very difficult. And to that end, I mean, the creating the engine that allows you to be able to do that. What's that been like? I mean, we're talking about just sending a shoe, and now you have 
you know, some other products, you've got pluckies, you've got a couple of other, yeah. you know, experimental products that you're putting out there. So I think with Falskun, you know, how we're positioning it and, and, and what we decided a long time ago is, is that um, we, like we always say, we're not the owners of Falskun, we're just the custodians. Yeah. So how we're building it out globally is we're building it out of South Africans in different parts of the world. And the more we travel and the more we build this brand out, the more the, these incredible South Africans in every corner of the world just keep popping up and um, and and wanting to get involved. So South, Africans, support South Africans are helping us. Mm. South Africa is helping us. We've, that little energy that you've got from behind is this spirit of South Africa that goes, I'm a South African, I'm living in Seattle, I'm mm. working whatever trade I am, but today when I walk out in my Villa Kazi Felskin, that makes me South African today. Sure. So there's this diaspora that's starting to really kind of take it on board and, uh, let me give and an provide the rails for you. My partner in Taiwan is a South African who used to live in Durban, uh, who moved there a while ago. His name is Jimmy. And, um, and he's well known in, in Taiwan and uh, throughout Asia for bringing rooibos tea there. And yeah. he's been incredibly successful there by positioning it as the drink to drink when you're pregnant. Oh, wow. And, and that's okay. just one of many incredible South Africans that are doing these amazing things around the world and and he's our partner there and the way that the discussions that we have with him about the brand and, and introducing it to the Taiwanese yeah. market and the Asian and market is, you, is incredible. Next, next point, I mean, the, the, most, the most incredible thing for me is to actually see, look, I think also, to, we, we've got a good story, but I think our product is bang on. I mean, I think we, in South Africa, we, are, we produce a shoe that is I, I genuinely believe is world class. It's a it's a high quality shoe. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. we can't, we can't, to ignore the fact that you guys have put a, a lot product. of love and attention yes, into the actual it. product creation. Right? And that's, yeah. I think, you know, the story is quite nice because the product actually works. When we listen to, to Jimmy, um, you know, and, and, and how he describes the shoot, mm. uh, and the stories behind it, we get excited. And then we go to, to David in Canada, mm. and we listen to him and how he describes it and what he sees it. And mm. it's, and it's different to Jimmy. And then we speak to Hansi in, Aus in Australia, and you go, Hansi, how do you, and he goes, Ross, this is the shoe, this is what we think, this is the story behind it. And it just, it's incredible. And you speak to Angela and Steve and, and they get excited and they see it as a particular way. And to, to Nick's earlier point is when he saw the shoe, he just got, he thought, he, he just felt passionate about it. And it seems like in every territory we go, whether it's the color or the, the, the shape of the shoe, That's it, what's it's happening. emotive. Yeah. And then it's, it's bringing out something. And guys, what has been some of the biggest challenges with doing business internationally? Exchange control. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a term, that's it. Timeline. <laughs> no, you, and why? Uh, what is it? It's like, yeah, that's one of the, that's just particularly because you don't understand it going into it. One, you're super enthusiastic when you start. You think you can build an e-commerce store and go sell a pair of shoes in another part of the world. All you have to do is go there or set up a VPN, set up a site and get it, get going. But the truth is, is that there's some reserve bank issues that you have to be aware of. Okay. There's a, there's a lot of, uh, red tape that goes in, administrative work that goes into it before you can actually go and do that successfully. Sure. But ultimately, when you want to sell abroad, what is the most difficult thing? What are the biggest challenges? They are probably the same as anyone in retail when you go from e-com into retail and then different territories, which is you have to learn how to manage your, your inventory. You have to be very, very acutely aware of your cash flow, and then you have to be able to grow responsibly within your within your money model. And those those challenges are not unique to us. Thankfully, with Long for Life, 
We've got some incredibly astute people yeah, that uh, sure. are available to us, uh, folks that have seen this movie a number of times. Um, and uh, we're very receptive and open to those learnings because we're not that experienced in that field. But with them having put, you know, take, guided us uh, down that specific road, we've been in very, very good hands. And that's why Feldskin can now and is now in a position where we can consider international growth. Guys, I want to ask each of you, to, to look back on this amazing journey. And it's, it's incredible to me that you're such a young company and yet you seem to have grown so quickly and, uh, and reached so far already and you're flying the South African flag so highly. What are the, the biggest lessons that you've learned? I mean, maybe Ross, starting with you, what is the harshest lesson that you've, you've learned along the way? The harshest lesson I've learned is, is actually cash flow. Yeah, you, you've got these great ambitions and you've got these, these wild dreams and you think it's just a matter of opening in London and opening in America and partnering with Mark Cuban and, and Ashton Kutcher and you think this is just amazing. And you, you come to reality that if you aren't able to transact, you know, all your dreams are actually worth nothing. So to me, the harsh reality of our business is just managing cash flow okay. yeah, and your expectations. We've got great expectations, but you have to build the business and it's, and it's, and it's instead of running, you have to learn how to walk first. Mm, I agree with that. Um, you, know, you can be as creative yeah. uh, day in and day out, but if you're not selling shoes yeah. and and you're not managing your money correctly and your inventory and all the boring stuff in a business, sure. which which is so yeah. opposite to a lot of our DNA, understanding how to tell the story in different territories. As an example, you know, Nick, uh, sorry, Ross alluded to it earlier, is the way that uh, people in Taiwan are receptive to uh, storytelling is very different to the way people are in America. Yeah. In America right now, everybody, they, if you want to sell something in America, you've got to talk about sustainability and you've got to show the factory. Um, you've got to show how it's benefiting yeah. people. That's the that's the current mindset. Oh, wow. But it's, okay. but it's different in Taiwan. You know, Taiwan, um, they love travel and um, they want to see the world. So um, in order to you know, to, to sell the shoes there, you know, you need to position it more as a travel shoe and a journey shoe. And it's still, you know, the DNA of the story is still there. You know, the, the shoe has been worn by, by people who have taken great journeys throughout the shoe's history, you know. So as long as you stick to that DNA, that's fine. But that is one of the biggest challenges is, is how do you um, adapt adapted to all these different markets. Australia has a very different mindset to Sweden, to yeah. the UK. Um, uh, the UK has been a very tricky market for us um, because of its huge diversity and and Facebook ads, as an example, don't work in the UK. Um, but influencer marketing works in the UK. So figuring all of these things out in different territories around the world, there isn't you know one particular formula that works. Wow, that's I mean that's, that's it sounds like a massive challenge in terms of all the 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 messages that need to be tailored specifically for each region. Correct. And Nick Dreyer, from your perspective, I mean in terms of the more logistical side of things, I'm gonna I'm gonna dodge the question. We haven't really, I haven't had any harsh learnings. I haven't had any harsh challenges. We've had a lot of challenges and a lot of learnings. Um, but none of that have really stung us to the point where I'd qualify them as harsh. But what I will say is that we've learned a lot of things along the way where we've made mistakes. But when we have come back to A, our, the DNA in our business, the way our culture operates, um, the more we do that, the more important I realize how important that is. And Ross alluded to it earlier, we've, we've effectively got three tenants in our business and it's all our staff have to play by these rules and we have to play by these rules. You, in any interaction, whether it's with the supplier, with each other, with the guy that makes the tea, anything, you have to be fair. 
always in every interaction. The second thing is you have to be direct. There's no point in playing around and trying to insinuate your way into anything. Be direct. And the third one is you have to be kind. And that culture, if you can operate within those rules, not just will that create a happy family, but it will create a dynamic family that is willing to debate, argue in a healthy environment. But the last thing is it pulls down to the product. It comes back down to that authenticity and that honesty inside the product. We are genuinely trying to sell something that makes people happy. And if we aren't happy, that simply will not happen. So the greatest lesson that I've taken from our journey so far is the importance of culture and the fact that it will always, no matter what happens, permeate its way all the way through to your feet and onto the shoes that you wear now. Absolutely. That's such a great answer. And I, I think with all of us as entrepreneurs, we need to we need to really preserve that culture and that DNA internally because it does organically provide an overflow to, all the way to, to the customers. And, uh, and, and to really kind of nurture that. Yeah. Guys, we're so proud of you and uh, the, you. the journey that you've made and the products that you've designed and, and the, the impact that you're having in the world and continuing to, to really represent South Africa. So congratulations and well done on the journey so far. It's obviously a long way to go, but, uh, but really congratulations. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. And thanks for having us. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Healthy Business Show. If you love this podcast, do let us know via social media, tag at discovery underscore SA. Use the hashtag DSY Healthy Business. And please do rate us on your favorite podcast platform, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your shows. You can also find more shows on the Discovery website at discovery.co.za forward slash corporate forward slash podcasts. Creating better businesses with Discovery Business Insurance.